0: This is Elliot with The Bay Biz, talking with business owners here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, it happens to be Father's Day weekend, so I thought it would be fun to talk to my dad, Bill Scozola, who, uh, among many things, taught me what it is to be an entrepreneur. Um, so, I mean, I guess the first thing... I'd ask is, uh, I remember great grandpa Scozola, uh, he he had a fish market, he was an entrepreneur. Grandpa uh, had a couple gas stations. Uh, I believe even your sister at some point had some, some kind of business of her own. And, uh, you know, now we have our family business. So uh, I think you mentioned earlier that it kind of feels like it's in the blood, but can you tell me like what Do you think this had anything to do with, like, why you were uh, constantly trying to reinvent yourself and and try different businesses to to make money and be your own boss?
1: Well, yeah, I'm thinking that, um, yeah, that's got to be part of it. Because growing up with my father and seeing the several businesses he had and listening to him talk about, you know, being self-employed and the different aspects of that, yeah, I'm sure that got me interested in being being my own boss
0: and I'm really curious. I mean, I know the, the answer to the fish market, this is back in the Chicago days where the, the family uh, in America at least originated from and, and, uh, how uh, basically the great depression, uh, ended that business, that it was a successful business until everyone was in tough times. And, and, uh, uh what was the exact reason why that business went out of business? I think I remember you saying,
1: well, yeah, my, uh, my grandfather, he came from Italy and they um they got established in Chicago and he eventually started he 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 started working on fishing boats. He did that in in Sicily and um anyways uh he moved from being, you know, just a worker on a fish boat to opening a fish market. So they were you know, plugging along being fairly successful and um my dad was a young man at that time. He was probably around 20 and um so they worked the fish market and then the de- and then the depression hit and um even though you'd think that well you still have to eat you still have to buy food but um they would go they had bought a um a new chevy truck they'd uh, pack it with ice and they would load it with fish and they'd drive around to the neighborhoods and in those days they um, would ring a bell or whatever it was on the truck and the uh, local women would come out of their homes or down from their apartments and they'd buy the fish from them. And uh, maybe they were selling the fish. I remember my father saying about seven cents a pound, you know, you could buy all this nice fish that would come fresh out of Lake Michigan. And, uh, but then the depression hit. Well, the ladies having to pinch every penny, you know, the housewives, they'd have to, they'd walk even if they had to walk two miles to Lake Michigan where they could get it wholesale four cents a pound. So that pretty much put them out of business. So they, um, yeah, that's why that business bellied up.
0: That makes sense. Um, what about grandpa's gas stations? He had like two of them, right? Like why, why do we not have like this gas station empire at this point? You know, like what happened with those?
1: Yeah. Um, well the first one he was partnered with, and this was in a Skokie, Illinois. And, um, Oh, I'm not sure there. Um, I think it was kind of like partnership, I think went pretty smooth, but um, I, I remember there was a scene where my uh, I guess the breaking point was when uh, my dad ended up in the hospital with needing back surgery, so he was laid up for like six weeks, and when he came back everything was disarray. Uh, mechanics who worked there stole tools, and it just it just got to be too much for him, so he sold the business, and Went back to his other career, which was welding, and then um, later on he decided to give it another try, and and uh, bought another gas station in, um, well, near the town we lived in near Chicago, a little small town, Hoffman Estates, and um, it w- it just wasn't a great location, so he decided to sell that, and this all occurred. Uh, well, the first station in the fifties, and the second station in the sixties, and then um, after that we moved on to California.
0: Okay, well uh moving on to when you had your first official business um i I actually have some very little memories of this store location and like maybe playing on the the floor with some like sweet potatoes or something weird like that but uh uh this was the catering business gozola's catering um so I barely remember it but uh so that was what what year was that eighty 3 or something like that. 80 Yeah,
1: somewhere yeah, about 83 I believe because you weren't very old like you right. said, you're about 2 years old. Yeah. And um but anyways, yeah, we'd um we'd uh, thought about um you know having such a business for years, opening a deli or something, and we had the opportunity to buy this catering store. And um so yeah, I was still working a regular 40-hour week job and trying to, you know, balance it with the with the catering store and then there was like a mini recession then where um, lots of people were um, were just doing their own thing you know we were we had been starting to do weddings receptions sure. and such and and, um, and then we'd be getting we'd gotten a lot of calls about how we could just instead of doing the whole thing, can you just bring one dish or something one nice dish and then they would the families would put together um, the rest of the meal. So we started getting into this period where you know people weren't just spending, spending good money to hire a caterer for their different events. So, so we, um, yeah, that was kind of short lived. About two and a half years, when we sold that business.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if people are just putting out Ritz crackers and craft cheese or whatever, surrounded by your beautiful whatever it was you made, yeah, like it's yeah, I can see how that's not going to work. It's like no, no, no. Let us do the whole thing. Or it's just not worth our time, yeah. Right. Okay, well, um, the next business I personally remember was much later, many years later, I think probably, what, in like the early 90s? Was it early 90s, I believe? But the candy machine business?
1: Yes, vending machine. Yeah, we tried that too. and uh, Yeah, that was um, buying the small vending machines. It was the type where you'd put the quarter in and turn the dial and a handful of M&Ms or Skittles or something would come out. And um, we had a quite a few of those, but um, it just is not lucrative enough. You you would you know the intent was to be successful and get them and get hundreds out there, and then you know it would be it would be a good money maker, but um, difficult just to get locations. People just didn't want them in in their businesses and so forth. So um, yeah, another business that didn't continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could see it would be a good idea though, having hundreds of machines all over right. the place. But I think what we have at most, a dozen or something No, like? it was How more many? than that. 20? Uh, uh, How many locations the, uh, would we have? I
1: want to say like 30 or oh, something.
0: Well, I didn't know it got that big. I don't yeah. remember that. I remember going around with you, but I guess it makes sense. We'd only do hit up a couple machines at yeah. a time, a weekend go, or whatever.
1: Right, we wouldn't go every week. That makes and sense. And then, you know, maybe you're picturing what was out there too, and some would be in storage. So someone would be in the garage. not oh, Everyone right. would be out because just, like I said, the difficulty of getting people to say yes put that by my by my entry door so when they're people are exiting you know the kids will throw in a quarter or something or
0: yeah i remember the endless rolls of quarters coming in during those days and and sometimes finding a really rare coin that was cool you know like you you joke about oh some kid got into his parents coin collection clear, clearly you know right. so that <laughs> silver quarters
1: i yeah. think it was 64 and earlier was silver quarters so you'd always
0: watch for those. Yep. Uh, so after the the cana machines, I remember the gunite business, which I guess you probably should explain what it is, because I don't think a lot of people know what gunite is or what kind of business that is in general.
1: Yeah. Well, um, gunite is the uh, product that you create uh, swimming pool in ground swimming pool shells with. Uh, most people consider it concrete, and it is just a form of concrete. But, um, yeah, I was in that business for a while, um, shooting the swimming pool shells and building the business and um, sharing a a warehouse uh, with another guy that um, built the complete pools and remodels of pools. So it was a perfect fit. We kind of had like a partnership, even though he owned his business and and I owned my side of the business. And then, um, yeah, uh, just uh, during it, in the middle of that I started flipping houses too so now I'm you know burning the candle at both ends and and uh the flipping houses was more enjoyable than doing the gunite so I I ended up selling the gunite business and then continued for a while flipping houses
0: so a lot of people probably do know about house flipping being that there's so many tv shows about it these days but when you first started doing that in the Ooh, mid to late nineties. I would say when was the late, first one? Late nineties, like, ninety nine. Nine, 1999, Okay, so I don't remember if there were any shows at all about it. At the time they no, certainly. I, so. I don't think so either. But they certainly got popular. But um, after the fact, after you flipped your first house in ninety nine, uh, so so how did that start though? Exactly like, like what, even, you know, either, Like I said, there's no TV shows on that might inspire you to do it like there are there are now. So, how did that idea get into your head in the first place to be like, oh, this seems like an opportunity for a new business? Well, you probably remember Rich Harrow, Mm -hmm. the uh,
1: dad, one of the boys, you were in Boy Scouts at the time, and um, I was Scoutmaster, and uh, the other dads, some of the dads would come to the meetings, to the boys' meetings. And anyways, one of the dad was uh, Rich Harrow, and he's a contractor, he's still in the business, and... um, just started talking with him, and he was mentioning how uh, profitable that, um, he wasn't doing it personally, but he knew of people that were flipping houses, and uh, he, very popular to do this in Willow Glen at the time, it was a real hot area, I mean, it's still popular area, but...
0: That's in San Jose, it's like a really nice area in San Jose, yeah.
1: Yes, and um, anyway, so he got me interested, and then I talked further with him, and he, um, then he um, introduced me to a particular realtor that um, worked that area. So I talked with her, and, you know, it sounded like it could be a profitable endeavor. So, yes, it, it turned out to be, you know, I bought her first house in Willow Glen in, nine, in early 99, I believe it was January, mm-hmm. and did a major remodel. It was a two-bedroom, one-bath, and we turned it into a three-bedroom, two-bath and it, of course, expanded it out. From, I think it was a thousand fifty feet, a little tiny house, and it was just shy of two thousand square feet when we were done. And um, ended up selling it in, I believe, December. It was had it about ten, eleven months.
0: And, yeah, um, yeah, I remember Christmas that year was really nice. Like it was just because you had a real like windfall. If I remember right, you even lucked out where. Uh, whoever had, had inherited that house, like, just wanted to get rid of it, basically. Like, they started to try and remodel it, and they gave up, and and it was, like, a pretty bargain basement price, considering the neighborhood. It was in Palm Haven, even. I remember that yeah. being, like, the even, like, one of the even nicer areas of the right. nicer area. So it was, like, such a amazing, like, grab that you got. Yeah. I also remember, uh, having some of my friends. We would, we would do, like, the the menial task labors, you know, like, laying down sod or, you know, some basic painting and things like that. But I remember that was like when I was wrapping up high school, basically those days, I think, uh, was it, I think it was that first summer. I remember like putting a lot of work into that house. Yep. Um, so you continued house flipping, uh, but then there came to the point where, uh, it seemed like we ran into a brick wall and, uh, that was the subprime mortgage crisis. Uh, and so, uh, there was the, the latest house that was, uh, fully remodeled, and, and uh, at this point, you had gotten it down to a pretty good science where you were flipping them really quickly. Do you remember how many days the last house took the yeah, Gilroy house you know yeah, that?
1: the house in Gilroy yeah, that was our last one that we ended up not flipping because of you know the market turn, but um uh, we closed the house in July and it was on the market in September, and that was a real extensive remodel. Because it was the house was a real wreck, you know. It took lots of, lots of things. You know, new plumbing, complete electrical, and then all the all the frills inside, remodel everything. The kitchen, hardwood floors, everything. But um, yeah, so that went on the market in September, and we kind of just chased the market down as uh, everything was drop, 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 going down, and um, then we had to finally surrender to the fact that well, either lose money sell it at a loss, or, um, or rent it. So by, um, we started September, it took way to April. We finally got a renter in April 1st, the next year, months later.
0: And uh, before you had put the renters in there, I remember, I thought it was pretty genius that you were, you were thinking outside of the box. You're like, we got to sell this house because people were bidding. I mean, I remember uh, the people handing in the bids at, Like, $100,000, like, under the cost of the place, you know? So it's like, we can't do that. Uh, But you were were still trying to sell it for at least the cost. I remember that. And you were going so far as to come up with, like, I wouldn't say schemes, but, like, uh, you know, like I said, the better way of phrasing it, outside of the box thinking with um, the Honda. You remember the Honda where you... Right. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we... Ordered
1: a banner that said, gee, what did it say? Uh, buy, buy a house, get a car free, or something like that. We bought a, a full, like, eight-foot-long banner to hang over the car and the driveway. So we parked a brand-new Honda in the driveway, Honda Civic, and hung that banner over and then advertised that. Yeah. It's... And uh, even had um, someone, I, I called a couple uh, TV stations and Channel 5, CBS, in San Francisco, they responded... They sent out a, a reporter and a cameraman. And so they recorded, you know, my little story about f- wanting to flip this house and that, you know, we got the car to go along with it because, you know, times are already tough. But By the time we did that, it was, I don't, I don't remember what month, but um, it was early, you know, January, February or something maybe before we finally had to throw in the towel and rent it.
0: Yeah, all the money was tied into the house. So it was like, we got, it. We got to sell this thing for at least costs. And that just, even with the, I believe the banner said like buy this house and get a free Honda civic or something like that. And you worked with the dealership, you parked the car right there, you know, right in, uh, on the driveway of the, of the, the house and everything. I remember that. Um, so obviously you put renters in there, uh, but that's, it wasn't going to quite cover all the cost of living, just having renters in here. Uh, like I said, all the money was tied up in the actual house itself. Um, So you had to think about some other way of making money. I remember you even were thinking about at that time, because everyone was struggling. It was so hard for everyone. Uh, I had been laid off as well at that time. Uh, But you were even going back to uh, shops, just random shops to see if like, hey, do you need a foreman, technician, whatever? And nobody was hiring. So so then you're like, well, the only way out of this is I got to think of a, of another business, some other way to make money. And so <laughs> uh, what you came up with, I, I'll never forget it uh, because I thought we were doomed when you said, I'm like, I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, what? But what, what was it? What was your idea?
1: So just to back up one step.
0: So the way I got this idea is
1: I said, um, I'm going to go to some farmer's markets because I know that's an easy end for selling food or any kind of products. So I had the idea of selling Italian sausage because my father had created a great Italian homemade Italian sausage recipe. So I knew how to make it, and everybody loved it. So I, I went to a couple of farmers markets and snooped around. Well, I met while well, I'm snooping, I am looking at the kettle corn guy, and the kettle corn guy is real real busy. And so after at the end of the day, when you know people were thinning out. I started talking to him, and he was just an employee. He wasn't. He wasn't an owner, so he was just giving up, giving up the information on how much money he makes a day, and all this. And I could, kind of tell it was a very profitable business. And uh, so I come home, and the first person I told was my wife. I go, you know what? Let's forget Italian sausage. Let's sell kettle corn.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember. I must have been probably the second person you told, but. I didn't even know what it was and then once you you showed me youtube videos and i still was completely unconvinced that this could make decent money and then you really explained you know like look there's like basically no overhead costs it's just the product costs and you know at the beginning we don't even need labor costs because we can do it ourselves blah 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 and like you laid it all out and i was still skeptical but i'm like well i mean shit let's just try it you know let's go for it you invested in the the equipment needed and, and we started experimenting and, uh, you know, seeing what, what tasted best. And we got to that recipe and, and now where, where are we at now? Or where did we get to, uh,
1: well before the pandemic, you know, we were, uh, we were doing pretty good. You know, um, the business went through some changes over about a 10 year, ten eleven 11 year period. And, you know, we stopped doing farmer's markets because they didn't stay consistently profitable. They would, start out really good and then people would get tired the local crowd that would come every week well didn't necessarily want kettle corn every week so we'd expand and you know we started doing a few festivals and then we started doing company parties and picnics and things like that yeah so that's when we were sold on that's what we need to concentrate on is doing doing the companies because they just you know they decided they're going to have a party a barbecue you know a summer barbecue a Christmas party and for the companies that you know are generous to do that for their employees they spend quite a bit of money and if they say well yeah I'll bring in kettle corn too well we can set up a one or two booths and bring in our workers and and just do the job and and um it's just quick and easy and and profitable so uh that that's our main focus now and once the pandemic you know once people aren't fearful of that and you know we can gathering groups I mean it's just gotten to that level but it's not to the point where companies are going going and having their parties yet but we'll get back in that scene
0: yeah i'm definitely looking forward to rebuilding the business and making it not only what it was but you know bigger than ever hopefully you know i think you know now that we went through this insane pandemic uh people are eager to get out again i'm hoping that these uh companies that used to host events are going to do it up big or bigger you know and like, I hope yes. like other companies that might not have had events might start to do it, especially since a lot of these companies have so many of their employees working at home now, so they don't even, you know, like socialize at work anymore. So I don't know if I was a company, I'd be like, let's at least to keep that community feel that we are actually a company, you know, not everyone comes into the office anymore, but at least now we can have at least a yearly or a bi-yearly or who knows how many events per year, but get all the workers and you know, employs everybody together and have have a nice big party with kettle corn there provided by us. Uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, that's what I wanted to get out, like the history of uh, our own personal entrepreneurship and where it all started in our family. And uh, I just want to say thanks to my dad and thanks to everyone who gave the babies a listen. If you enjoyed what you just listened to, or even if you didn't, Please do me a favor and like this podcast, subscribe, and share. But most importantly, please continue to support small businesses and tip your servers generously.